Welcome to Rights Talk, a podcast devoted to engaging contemporary human rights challenges around the world. I'm Danielle Zak, postdoctoral fellow at the City College of New York downtown. Today's focus is on undocumented migrants in the United States and the special vulnerabilities they face given the Trump administration's xenophobic policies compounded by the coronavirus pandemic. Joining us for this discussion is Susanna Rosenbaum, Associate Professor of Anthropology at City College downtown. Susie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I think we might start off by talking about your first book, uh, Domestic Economies, which focuses on the lives of Mexican and Central American domestic workers. And that we could start by giving some thought to how the current situation is exacerbating their already precarious existence. Well, certainly, um, as you may know, Danielle, uh, domestic work is something of a, an anomaly in terms of workplace uh, relationships because it's a highly personalized relationship between employer and employee. And very often the employer doesn't necessarily recognize the worker as a worker with full labor rights. Although domestic workers, like all workers, have access to workers' rights, they don't, um, they're very afraid to claim them or they don't know they have access to them. They're afraid because they don't want to lose their job because they're very vulnerable in terms of um, money. They send money to their homes, their home countries, and they're not very, and so they're scraping by. And um, they're vulnerable because they don't have uh, any kind of protection in terms of social security or health care benefits. Um, and so they're, they're already living very much on the edge, and most of them have a variety of other jobs that they do just to supplement their incomes. Now, at the moment, um, they're either put in incredibly vulnerable positions by having to go into work, um, in which case they're exposed and they're exposing their whole families to potential, potentially to the virus, or they are told not to come into work, but their employers neglect to pay them for the time off. And so there's been a lot of hardship among the community of domestic workers. The National Domestic Workers Alliance in New York City, um, which you might have heard of, directed by Ai Poo, who won a MacArthur Genius Grant, um, is starting a, has started a fund where you could actually donate money to domestic workers who are home and not being paid. Susanna, perhaps you can talk uh, about other frontline workers, such as farm workers, meatpacking workers, delivery service people. Uh, what kind of special challenges are they facing? Well, I think one of the things that sort of this crisis is highlighting is how much of the labor that these people do, that people that are undocumented do, is central to the functioning of this country, even though we tend to, um, or political discourse tends to paint them as dangers, what they're actually doing is making the country run. Um, and unfortunately, because they are in industries that have very poor protections, like farm workers, as we know, are never paid well or um, really very much taken care of, they are suffering it without any kind of broader um, framework. And when you think about the meatpacking industry and the ways in which particular meatpacking plants have been sort of centers for outbreaks, and then the president um, declares these essential businesses that can't close, we sort of have our priorities, you know, it really sort of, it really crystallizes our priorities, which is we need this kind of labor and we don't care what happens to these people because we don't consider them, you know, not just full citizens, but full persons for lack of any kind of legal paperwork. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, they're definitely dealing with that. And again, people are reluctant to speak out. People are not um, getting the, 
people aren't getting the necessary support and they're not getting this, you know, if they get laid off, for instance, uh, farm workers or delivery workers or even meatpacking workers, they don't have access to any kind of recovery bill money. Um, right. If you're not a citizen, you don't have access to it. And citizens married to non-citizens are actually not getting it either. So the president worked it into his package um, to sort of punish people legally married to people that aren't citizens. I think that's something that really hasn't been talked very much about in yeah. terms of, you know, people who are excluded right. uh, are the ones that are the most vulnerable. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and they're the ones that we need. Uh, it sort of works up, you know, it sort of reproduces this kind of logic of labor necessary bodies unwanted. Yeah. Another facet of this issue is the migrant detention centers, which yeah, are another source of COVID infections. Can you say something about, about what's happening in these spaces? Well, like prisons, uh, detention centers are places where a very, an outbreak can very easily spread like fire. Um, and that is indeed what's happening. And because people are kept in such poor conditions and for such a long time, um, you know, one of the things that they could do is release the pit prisoners into hospital care, um, the, in detention centers, as well as in prisons. Now they're releasing some prisoners like Paul Manafort, but not the vast variety of people in prison in, in this country. Um, and same with detention centers, they definitely don't want to, you know, that's sort of against the current administration is to release anybody into the population. So one of the things that they're doing is they're sending back, um, they're deporting, they're speeding up deportations of people that have been sick or that are sick, um, which is, again, another layer of the ridiculous foreign policy. And of the course, these are to countries that people had been fleeing violence and seeking protection, fleeing as well as livelihoods that could are actually sustainable. Yeah. And countries would know um, that we don't use our resources, that we're not channeling our resources for, you know, to deal with this crisis is one thing, but you're sending them to countries that are under-resourced as it is. Um, yeah. So they don't have the capacity to test or the capacity for social distance. If people live in slums, how on earth are you going to keep them socially distanced? So they're actually sending them into much worse places, not just um, as people vulnerable that could get sick, but as sources of infection. It, I think, parallels a little bit the story of the gang spread into Central America. Um, yes. The deportation of people in gangs in the United States that will then, you know, sort of extended the the spread of gangs all over Central America, which we now claim to be a foreign import. Yeah, quite uh, interesting how American policy is largely responsible for this phenomenon uh, of, of, the, of the gangs. Absolutely. Uh, owing to deportation uh, in the 90s. And again, as I think it's a very keen insight on your part to see that, well, now we're you know, we're sending COVID to countries with very weak health infrastructure to begin with. Right, absolutely. Thereby compounding the human rights problems and challenges right. already being faced in these countries. Right, and as you say, people are fleeing these countries for lack of, um, I mean, in terms of, for lack of security, but also for lack of viable incomes or any kind of sense of having a future. And so if you're sending them back to exacerbate all the issues, certainly not going to make the immigrant influx any better here. Thank you, Susie, for joining us today. This was a, a very helpful discussion. I appreciate you sharing your insights, wishing everybody safety and good health. Thank you, Danielle.